the guy asked me if I wanted rye, and I just fucking looked at him. Listen, I'm not rocking, I'm not knocking the rye, but I'm also not rocking the rye. As a as a fly rye guy myself, we can only have so much rye in one place. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponent's brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington. Oh, and Oprah? I really would not ever vote for her. Ever. I mean, if a gun to my head. I, would. <laughs> I. Which is fucked up because Oprah is more qualified to be president than he is. Yeah. And I would never Oprah, vote for her. For her many faults. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the things that they're promoting about her and who she is. It's, it's about the things they're not actually came from nothing a single parent yeah like a her mom was like a handmaid or something is probably a more (laughs) successful business person than donald trump like he's actually legit probably worth more money than he is oh she's built a formidable empire i mean mama runs the town like three billion dollars yeah she has a magazine that comes out every single month that hosts pictures of only her i mean Donald doesn't have that. No, but let's not ever have a another president that has zero political history or is like a celebrity. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not. But hey, it could fucking happen. It, <laughs> they might be debating each other. I in a couple of years. I hope. I really hope that that's the case. Kind of. I think that. Or maybe be. it'll be her versus Mike Pence. He's much happen. more frightening to me. Why? Because he abides to Sharia law. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. It's pretty sad. And we have a president's podcast. So maybe we should just get right into it. Yeah. Let's do a little. Let's do a little dive in. It's been a minute since our last show. I was reminiscing just a little bit about the last show, not the last show we did, but the show before all the spy episodes. Here's the thing I'm excited about. We're getting the theme song back. It's coming back. And uh, just to recap, the very first thing we talked about on our last show was Tiki Torches. So it's been a minute since we've been in this timeline. I'm glad and nothing to be back. has changed. I'm glad to be back. Before, <laughs> yeah. we, before we jump into that timeline, I think that we should talk a little bit about Benedict Arnold because we really didn't cover him in the whole spy thing. And he's kind of big. No, yeah, he's a big dude. I, I was kind of sad we didn't cover him a little bit more. I was also sad that we didn't cover... Uh, the little underwater egg. I was kind of like reading about that today and that was fun. But anyway, Benedict Arnold, he's a huge character. You're absolutely right. So Benedict Arnold, and I thought that Eggs Benedict was named after Benedict Arnold for some reason. Turns out, not the case. All signs point to Arnold thinking about switching teams in 1778. It was actually 
on the day that I did this research, November 10th, 1778, that Nathaniel Green wrote General John Cadwallader and was like, hey, man, I'm hearing some weird shit about General Arnold. He's he's hanging out with Tories. He's getting really weird. And lo and behold, Green gets a letter shortly after from Arnold just bitching up a storm about the economy, about how shitty the Continental Congress is, how shitty the Continental Army is, just being a real bitch about things. So it's at this point that Arnold is probably ready to jump ship. He's definitely thinking about it, probably making some moves. We hop ahead to May of 79, and Arnold is officially, secretly a red coat. Benedict enlists Joseph Salisbury. Steak. I was trying not to do that. Joseph Salisbury steak. Don't worry, I'll I'll come in and help out with all those. Enlist him to get him connected with the Brits. Salisbury went through Jonathan O'Dell, a New York Tory, who had it in with William Franklin. Kind of a common name. Yeah, we've heard but that. This before. William Franklin was Ben Franklin's bastard son. Oh. We didn't talk but, about that. You know, high up for a bastard, he's the colonial governor of New Jersey. Being on opposite sides of a war does kind of fuck up your relationship with your dad, even though he probably didn't love you in the first place because you didn't marry your mom before procreating with her. <laughs> like, I didn't really want you, so... so how about you go hold this kite out in the, in the field <laughs> over there and see what's what that, happens. What's that key for? <laughs> so Bill Franklin gets Major John Andre, who is the British spy chief now, involved. Just like that, a colonial general has a pipeline to the British spy chief and thinks he's going to get off the sinking boat that is the American Revolution or the upstart rebellion. So Arnold uses his wife Peggy to get correspondence to Andre via women that Peggy knew, because bitches be talking. Am I right, fellas? (laughs) He was supplying the enemy with intelligence to negotiate a sweet exit deal for him and his family. He gave up supply chain info, troop numbers, locations, fort information, all that kind of stuff. But the Brits want more. If you give a red coat a crumpet, he's probably going to want some tea. But they wanted shit above his pay grade. And everything was heating up as Patriots took note that Arnold and his family were being shady as fuck. Yeah. Instead of getting smart about this stuff and retreating, Arnold reopened communication with Andre. And at this point, he he expected to take over West Point, which was a fort where he thought the British would pay a high price for the surrender of this fort. He sold his house in Connecticut and started transferring money to London. Not obvious at all. (sighs) Yeah. Like, oh, what? Where's all that money going? Oh, nowhere. Right. So he's he's doing way too much. He's going to get fucking caught. Way too many activities. No operational intelligence, as they would say. Yeah, he's a dipshit. Leaning up to Benedict Arnold taking command of West Point, he fires off a letter to the British demanding more money, whining like a bitch, not being totally discreet. Finally, Arnold does get command of West Point, in which he is not fucking cunning about wanting to give it away at all. Hey, Benny, we need to repair this wall over here. What? We're not Trump supporters. wall. (laughs) We'll be fine. Don't repair anything. Actually, let's knock down that wall so we can rise <laughs> every morning. Yeah, that's a. I really wanted to kind of see out that way. So naturally, his subordinates are like, "What the fuck is going on here? Is this guy a total dipshit, or is he a complete traitor?" Yeah, I just can't uh, imagine. I, I really, honestly, can't imagine that it, it, 
someone didn't notice sooner, honestly. Yeah, not very sly at all. No. Arnold and Andre, they finally do meet face to face. It's in colonial territory. This is fucking stupid. Andre's way back to British territory. He becomes under attack. He has to alter his path and he gets captured. And what's on him? All the information that Benny gave him on West Point. They were actually going to deliver Andre to Arnold's custody, but Ben Talmadge, who we talked about in the last three episodes, was like, no, bring that son of a bitch to me. On the morning that Benedict Arnold learned what had happened, he was actually supposed to have breakfast with George Washington. Instead, he hightailed it to New York, just put on a red coat and be a little bitch. When this whole event, this whole scene that played out with with Arnold, Andre, uh, Arnold's wife, Peggy, it's not entirely accurate, but it is a pretty damn good recreation of kind of the way that Andre got caught. Uh, the fact that he probably was carrying these papers in his boots, like all the motherfucking spies at the time did. It was, it's a rather interesting you know retelling. Yeah. So yeah, that's a really good place to trust me to put things, but it, you know, it's, if you want to, if you want a visual representation of kind of what we're talking about, turn, this is where second season, it gets pretty good and it starts to kind of get into this detail a little bit. Still have not watched much of Turnt. There's also another one, by the way, called like Sons of Liberty. Pretty good. I think it's a Netflix show. It's on Netflix. I, I, I can't tell you where it's from exactly. Coast Life brought to you by Netflix. I wish. So that's Benny Arnold. It's now time to get back to our George Washington timeline. Woo! Before we went off on our Spy Hard trilogy, Washington and his groupies of war had just gotten through the winter of 77. The most notable of the groupies, of course, Martha, A. Ham, Alexander Hamilton, John Lawrence, <laughs> and the Frenchman Lafayette. What a dreamboat. So Washington and his army, as well as his British foes, awake from the hibernation of winter to pursue some uh, war stuff. George is super anxious about what the Brits will do. General Howe has plenty of options. He's kind of a big deal. George knows that the, the Hudson River is very important at this point. It has to be guarded. It would be really embarrassing if Howe just goes up and takes Philadelphia, you know, where the Continental Congress is seated. Uh-oh. But at the same time, George is worried about New Jersey. The Continental Army had just pulled off some rather incredible wins in New Jersey, and he doesn't want to fuck that over. But it would be Fort Ticonderoga in upstate New York that would see the first action. This was the fort that Ben Arnold had taken just two years ago. That's kind of ironic, right? A little bit. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> the fort was surrendered to the Brits after just four days of being under siege. Well, and... Uh Actually, I don't even really think it was under siege. I think there were like almost no shots fired and like the British just had the high ground. That's it. Like they're like, uh, we're going to take this high ground over here. And I think the Patriots were like, we're out. Bye bye. Bunch of Mirandas <laughs> need to be Samantha's about this war. <laughs> and then next, how continues to fuck with Washington by taking his massive fleet, the biggest that North America had ever seen, to Philadelphia, only to disappear again. Washington. Well, well, just like real quick, I was thinking, I, I actually couldn't remember where those fucking ships even came from. So I know he was like, you know, I remember reading 
he was like coming and going, but they were basically in New York, right? Like they were kind of like, they had come, I just couldn't remember because it's been so long, but they had come from England. They parked it in New York for a little while, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then they, they would just then, disappear and then they would pop up in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Copy that. Just wanted to recap. I was confused. Yeah. And Wikey Washington was totally mind fucked. He's <laughs> like, he says, I confess the conduct of the enemy is distressed beyond measure and past our comprehension. I'm a dumb fuck. How finally decides to make his move on Philadelphia at the end of August. The British troops land at Head of Elk, which is the northern point of the Chesapeake Bay. It's a rather strange move on Howe's part, as it will require a lengthy march up to Philadelphia. It's very odd that Howe chose the entry point that he did. Not only because he really could have just kind of come on the far east side of Philadelphia. If we're like looking at Philadelphia, you go straight up, you go straight to the right. That's New York up there. He kind of like had all that territory. So you think he could really just march his troops without even putting them on a motherfucking boat right on down the coast. And boom, there we go. I I know that you probably want the boats for like some city siege and whatnot. But still, I, I find this a very odd move and Washington had no fucking clue what was going on like you said and I think that that made him incredibly anxious and I think that Howe very much wanted that. Howe was trying to draw Washington at this point into direct traditional battle style uh, like just open plains where the men would march towards each other and fire at one another. Um, We kind of talked about this before. Uh, Howe was strictly old school So when it came to engagements, whereas George grew up on the land where we currently kind of are, he had already done some things through there and had been fighting with the indigenous people who lived in this area. How did not fight like this? How did not fight in the woods? How didn't fight like a savage? And so how wanted to bring out Washington. And I think he thought if I make him nervous enough, if he doesn't know where I'm going, if my troops are constantly here, there, and everywhere, he's eventually just going to want to engage me in battle to kind of get it over with. You know, after saying that, how does Washington react to all this stress? Well, he decides to make a spectacle and host a fancy fashion show and wanted to do a little march through Philadelphia. He's like, the British are coming, the British are coming let's get our motherfucking fashion on, okay? So he wanted to march all of his troops, big show of force, down the city streets. He was going to impress these residents. He wanted to win the hearts of the people that were there. He wanted to give them a reason to believe they should stand behind the patriots. I mean, it's all well and good to have some feel-good beliefs about not having some dude across the ocean own you, but... When all of a sudden his forces are in your backyard, you need to know that somebody's going to have your fucking back. So George is like, don't worry. I've got your back. These guys look fantastic. It looks great. This is the biggest army. This is the best army. Follow me. And he actually specifically noted that he wanted to, quote, have some influence on the minds of the disaffected uh This was a very poignant thing. But then, like, it kind of got weird because Washington got, like, really specific with the whole thing. Chernow states of the performance, quote, he choreographed their movements down to the last details, end quote. And uh, per Washington, each soldier was to wear a green sprig in their hat 
or uh, within their hair, which was a symbol of victory, which is kind of funny considering George has no clue where the British are. They're popping in and out, and he's like, we're going to win. It's all good. Like, don't worry, guys. Like, we totally got it. We don't know where they're at. They're probably coming this way, but like, we're, it's cool. It's totally cool. One thing he specifically did was instruct his soldiers. I find this uh, super interesting. He instructed his soldiers to mind the drums, quote, without dancing along or totally disregarding the music as too often has been the case. And he also wanted it's them- about technique, not self-expression, damn it. <laughs> it's exactly. He wanted them to have a lively step though. And, uh, you know, not just don't dance, guys. That we're not. This is like doing arts and crafts at church <laughs> camp. You don't want to be too weird about it. I know. He. It was just so odd that he was like, "No dancing. This isn't a fucking. This isn't Rampa House. Like, we're not turning the streets of fucking Philadelphia into your own personal like boogie down nights. Like, get it on festival. Like, just, just fucking follow the music and step lively, you motherfuckers. And of course, he was sitting atop his white horse. And uh, Lafayette, who we mentioned earlier, was riding right by his side because, of course, he treated him like a son. And uh, Abraham and John Lawrence followed. They, they were just right behind. Although it's funny because even though Washington was trying like super hard to make these dudes look legit, Mr. Nose in the Sky, John Adams, Washington's best enemy and worst friend, he described the scene like this, quote, our soldiers have not yet quite the air of soldiers. They don't quite step exactly in time, and they don't hold their heads quite erect, nor turn on their toes exactly as they ought. Which, like, fuck you, John Adams. George is constantly like, we have no money. I literally can't feed these guys or pay them or anything. And he's like, they're... They don't have shoes. <laughs> Like these guys are barely clothed. Some of them are wearing the uniforms of our enemy because we can't even put them in clothes. And you're like getting all fucking righteous about uh, their erect heads and their, their toes turning exactly as they ought. Fucking righteous dude, John Adams. We'll get, we'll get into you more, but fuck. yeah, this was a, a weird ass parade for a battle, but really they think, Thought, George Washington specifically thought that this would be the battle that was going to turn the war. This was going to, if they, if they got this win, then this is, this is where it was start. This is where they were going to push the British back. This was the beginning of the end for the British occupying the colonies. Unfortunately, uh, there was also that like risk that all of his soldiers might run away. So uh, he also said, hey, yeah, like, we're totally going to win. And if you do try to run away, we're just going to fucking shoot you. Like, you got to we got to do this thing, of course. And what did he do for courage? Interesting. He gave each soldier five shots. Uh, this was a few days before the battle. So I don't know what he planned on this effect having. But he did give each soldier five shots and uh, of, of rum. Five shots of rum, straight up liquor. Here you go, boys. Now, Washington kind of seeing possibly where Howe might 
decide to come. He kind of starts thinking like, all right, he's going to try to come down, come up into the bay here and then attack us basically from the west or the left side, perhaps, of Philadelphia here. He picks out a place called Brandywine Creek. This had a natural defense, a lot of, obviously, a creek running through it, some hills, some valleys. This seemed like a natural place where George might feel comfortable fighting, I think. Um, Also a place in the Shire. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, it very much is a Shire-esque. Um, but literally, there's a Brandywine Creek well, in... Oh, well then, fuck yeah. Same thing. Middle same Earth, place. the Shire. Same place. Exact same place, actually. It's what, it's what uh, J.R.R. Tolkien based Hobbiton off of. Was, what was... Don't uh, check it. Really? Is that, is, that a real, is that a hashtag real fact, or are we making shit up? I don't know. Fact check me, I dare you. <laughs> Start a page on PolitoFact. <laughs> Snopes me. Fuck you. Unfortunately, and, and I'm not trying to like, you know, spoiler alert it, but this fucking whole battle after his super nice parade goes nothing like what he thinks it's going to go like. Washington, the, the biggest flaw, and I just kind of want to like point this out, this Brandywine Creek area, which had this kind of natural division between the southwest part where how was going to try to come up and the northern part where Philadelphia was. It had this perfect divide and Washington thought he knew the area. He should have fucking known the area. His men were from the fucking area. Okay. So the people that were gathering the goddamn capital. But yeah, the people that were gathering intelligence for him should have known this area. He should have known this area. He's been in this area as a surveyor. Goddamn surveyor. Right. And so one fucking fatal flaw in the whole thing which is he doesn't realize that if they just go a little further north they can come around and like totally get them from behind unfortunate so the first clash that we, well, yeah exa- well that's exactly what's going to happen before the day's over um so the first clash was at chad's ford a really big portion of the british army which was actually like some of the hessian troops forced their way across this point. And Washington, in true Washington style, was riding to the front. He was like, like he was hitting retreating soldiers with his sword. He was being all motherfucking brave, taking bullets in the coat. He was just being a motherfucking badass as usual, trying to get these soldiers to engage in battle. He thought that this was the fucking heat right here. He's like, it's coming. We're doing it. We're going to battle. Uh, unfortunately he started receiving a lot of contradictory information. Like we're seeing British people over there. We're seeing British people over there. And he kind of started to lose grip of the battle. This is like right at the beginning. So like kind of right at the, he start, they start going into this. Oh, by the way, it's September 11th, 1777, by the way, for, a, oh, 1778. Is it 1777 or 1778? 77. 77. 77. Uh, yeah, so just you can cut out that when I said 1977. Uh, oh, yeah. So just a note, by the way, that today, the date we're talking about is September 11th, 1977. Um, 1977? Were they wearing... Uh... Oh, by the way, by the way, <laughs> shut the fuck up. By the way, the date that we're talking about today is September 11th, 1777. 
Um, so all this battle stuff is happening at Chad's Ford. Washington doesn't know what's going on. He's beginning to lose grip. It's the beginning of the day. It was it was around noon that Washington had this moment where he's like, uh, where, where did the rest of their army go? Like, this isn't it. This can't be it. He starts to kind of, I think, at this point, realize that something isn't quite right. And, it, and he, boy, was... Boy, was he right, because around noon, Howe began to wade his troops across at the f- most far north point of this uh, Brandywine Creek. It was at a place that George didn't even know existed. It was called Jeffrey's Ford, Jeffy's Ford, and he had no, he had no clue. At 1.15, so about an hour and 15 minutes after he started having bad feelings, Howe started crossing. Washington got news that British were pouring in from the north above their position. They were incredibly unprepared for this. And by 5 p.m. that day, Howe was closing in on Washington at Chad's Ford. Now, the general for all these Hessian troops, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, and it's probably going to be really funny. Uh, Knapsenhusen crossed Chad's Ford. So the British were pouring in from the north above Washington. And then on the westernmost front where Washington was fighting, this Hessian force is pushing across where he thought the main force was. And this completed this like pincer movement, like a claw movement around George Washington. And at this point, uh, a majority of Howe's army is actually uh, just like fucking sodomizing like from the rear the ever-living shit out of the patriot army and they just start running away they realize that they must retreat they have to fucking get out of there and this this fucking brandywine battle is not looking too good how was playing checkers (laughs) i do imagine i do imagine that he was probably just sitting in a fort like up top like very good uh, very good. Yes. Uh, yes. We're getting them. Rouse the troops. Yeah, very good. Yes. Good show. Good show, everyone. Very good. Polite clapping. Apologies to our British listeners. If we have any. We do. Oh, that's exciting. So House playing checkers and Washington is playing Connect Four and <laughs> he's not even playing Connect Four very well. Sounds like me. It's, it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> Someone should do a TED talk or a dead talk about how millennials would have surrendered immediately after this embarrassing loss. Because talk about demoralizing. Back at camp, however, Washington is trying to send word to Congress of the defeat without sounding too emo or depressed or pathetic. He's kind of learning from his his past emo moods. Our first POTUS became a complete liar and wrote John Hancock saying, sir, I'm sorry to inform you that at, uh, in this day's engagement, we have been obliged to leave the enemy masters of the field. That's very nice. Our loss of men is not, I'm persuaded, very considerable, I believe, much less than the enemy. Notwithstanding the fortune of the day, I'm happy to find the troops in good spirits. And I hope another time we shall compensate for the losses now sustained. Now, Justin, 
I just want to say losses sustained. Uh, 200 Americans killed, 500 wounded, 400 captured versus the British, 90 killed, 500 wounded. Uh, yeah, that was a real, that was a, they were fucked. 200 versus 90 killed. It's very Trump-esque of uh, George. <laughs> it's a polite. Well, I'm sure he didn't have the, the stats, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, he didn't include those, of course. And it is comparable to, uh, you know, it's only a flesh wound from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> what? You're a so fucking dirty liar. And he would actually double down on his claim just two weeks later. Lost, Washington lost game one at home court. The enemy defeated him with geography near <laughs> the continental capital. Embarrassing doesn't quite cover it. Washington lacks most of the in-the-moment mental skills that are so essential to being a successful military commander. He is the most Browns quarterback since 1999. <laughs> Uh, At this moment, everyone is in agreement on George, George's mental shortcoming, Jefferson, DeKalb, and even Green. All agree that he's being a dipshit. Dr. Ben Rush went further and claimed the men George surrounded himself with were absolute shit. <laughs> and as a result of the devastating, which it was, loss, Washington's army must face the reality that it cannot protect Philadelphia. So they march north to Penny Packer's Mill, great name, which is well, north of Philadelphia, and they start licking their wounds and don't have shoes. But Justin, so I, I kind of just had this thought, and maybe maybe I'm just having thoughts. You know, sometimes those happen. But isn't it funny that there are a group of people that are so quick to jump on George Washington, one singular person that they didn't, these people didn't want a king, right? But then you have John Adams, you know, writing in his fucking journal, oh heaven, grant us great soul, one active masterly capacity would bring order to this confusion and save this country. Like, like this dude, John Adams, fucking wanted a king, kind of, right? Like, and I think a lot of people want, like, they kind of wanted someone to either blame for the downfall or blame for the success. And I don't know if it was just like the old way of thinking or whatever, but I mean, you mentioned Dr. Ben Rush, you know, kind of saying that he was surrounding himself with absolute shit people. And maybe that was the masterly downfall that he experienced. But I think a lot of people really wanted to like blame him singularly too. And I, I, I just think I find that ironic because they say they didn't want a king, but they want one person to blame instead of like the whole fucking Congress who couldn't get enough money together for these soldiers to clothe yeah. them or feed them. And Steve Bannon cried when he lost <laughs> his job. <laughs> so my fault. I'm not, I'm very, very <laughs> people genius, but yeah, fuck you guys. George Washington is a very stable genius. <laughs> Everything's fine. The Continental Congress, of course, is forced to abandon their city and get the fuck out. And oh shit, it's about to get fucking cold again. Already, Washington seriously lacks shoes. Very. Well, true. actually, I'm sure Washington had plenty of shoes. <laughs> His soldiers <laughs> lack shoes. They didn't have blankets. Shoes? I get what I want. All that, you know, no mittens, 
So he sends Hamilton and 100 men back to Philly to scrape up supplies that they desperately needed for winter. Luckily, the Brits waited a week before marching into Philly but like, for their official capture and parade. Right, right. Like, this also blows my mind consistently. We talked about it previously, but how just like waits around. He's like, mm, well, we won. So obviously they're going to let us have the city. So yeah, we'll take our time. We'll, we won't go in there right away. Whereas in like, I feel like if it we're the, on the other side, if, if the shoe were on the other foot, if the shoe existed um, in this scenario, I, I just think that George Washington would have like fucking run into Philadelphia. He would have like fucking claimed the whole thing. He would have been super excited. And Hal's just kind of, hanging out <laughs> you know they're spoiled british cunts <laughs> and not really taking this rebellion seriously at not all yeah so hamilton he sends hamilton in with 100 men get blankets and shit but he's reluctant to take possessions from people he thinks that this is a little too britishy it doesn't sit right with him hamilton had attempted to make the good scrabbing mission a little less bad guy esque by giving out receipts to those that gave up supplies which isn't okay. I do you find this ironic because Hamilton issuing promissory notes, right? That's kind of what he did. That was like his thing. Yeah. Like that's totally like the whole he based an entire economy off of doing. Then we gotta this. have a debt. Come on. <laughs> it's like just, yeah. No, we're just oh, we're like gonna give that. you we're gonna give you this little piece of paper. I swear to God, it's it's gonna be fine. Just eventually bring this around to somebody, and they'll give you things for it. I just find it funny that he's like he was that doing it here, but like now that is what our entire economy is based on. This of. is where he got it, the whole idea. <laughs> so after this failure of Brandywine, the goods grabbing mission turns out a complete success. It's the greatest goods grabbing mission that <laughs> we've ever had in our the whole history of our country. It's the biggest thing. <laughs> Probably not much of a moral victory. No. It's a weird way to admit defeat. Yeah, we lost. How about some stuff now? <laughs> we're gonna can we get we're gonna need that gunpowder and those bullets over there. But it but it is practical. He's getting blankets, he's getting ammo. The Redcoats march into the Capitol at the end of September. It's a big symbolic victory for them. The Brits are going to use it to dishearten the Patriots, but Washington continues to downplay it, saying, The possessions of our towns while we have an army in the field, we'll avail the British little. It is our arms, not defenseless towns. They have to subdue. Okay, sure. <laughs> I think that's probably what he had to say. He's beginning to take defeat a lot better than the emo George had in the past. Or like he wanted to run directly into this, like, just kill me now. Just fucking take me. Yeah, but dude. Sometimes the towns are completely defenseless because you got your ass kicked <laughs> by geography in your own territory. Outclassed, hands down. So what's next? The Continental Army really could use an actual win, not a blanket-grabbing victory. And preferably before winter, because you got to enlist more fucking troops after winter. If you so have General Howe, if you, if you have any money, that is. Yeah. So General Howe had 9,000 men, the main force at Germantown, only sending a small force to symbolically occupy Philadelphia. Yeah, Washington, he's not coming back. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yours. That's yours now. I don't even know where the crick is. 
Washington believes that he has the ability to attack Germantown with a larger force of around 11,000 patriots. He can get in before winter freezes the war and get a much needed W. Just like last year, we're just going to do the same shit and it's probably going to work. He wants to punch Howe in the mouth. It's a rather problematic attitude, though. His army is low on supplies and kind of need, needs to lick its wounds this winter. They need to go to winter quarters. They should be focused on survival and defense and maybe plan a little more. But Washington does what Washington understands. Cherneau writes, as usual, Howe had shrewdly chosen his army camp at Germantown, a place crisscrossed by creeks, ravines, and gorges. The town itself had protection in, in the form of fences and hedges and pretty sturdy stone buildings. George picks October 3rd to initiate an attack, moving at night because he wants his troops super tired when they fight. <laughs> I feel like I've read this Washington book before. Yeah, I was about to say, this is like, I, this sounds so familiar. Metcalf up the middle. Am I right, Cleveland fans? He splits the Patriots up into four columns intended to converge and attack. Washington took the lead with Sullivan and 3,000 men. Green took 5,000 men northeast along the Lime Killen Road. And General Smallwood had 1,000 more north of Green. And finally, to the south, General Armstrong supported the attack with 2,000. Washington's force would be the first to hopefully surprise the Redcoats, while Green was to drive the unsuspected army to the Shikill River. The Shikill River. Shikill River. The Shikill River. That's how it's, yeah, that's... That's a little aggressive. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Sure, it's not the worst strategy. (laughs) However, it does require absolute nothing to go wrong and the timing to be perfect. Which, Which makes me wonder, would Washington have loved the game Mousetrap? A. B. Uh, do, I, do you think he might have liked the OK Go videos that were just like super convoluted oh fucking messes? Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, he just loved, he's like, I want to make this the fucking, I want to make this as hard as possible. I think we can do it. Like, what the fuck, George? This is a, hor- this is a horrible idea. This is Every, not good. This is not good. This is what it feels like to to play you in a strategy game. <laughs> That's fair. It's pretty bad. It's fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> so is is God on George's side and nothing going gonna go wrong? Is that what you learned in history? Do they talk about the Shikill River in your Revolutionary War class? Probably not. First of all, it's foggy as hell. It's a pea soup out there. And the whole fucking plan is hours behind schedule, per usual. The Continental Force doesn't have matching uniforms. As you said earlier, they were often wearing stolen red coats. <laughs> Which is so dumb. Like, why would you do that? It's better than uh, being naked, I guess. Fair. So if you remember being late as fuck, because they were, didn't hinder the Christmas surprise attack, which wasn't that much of a surprise attack. (laughs) But this is a much different scenario, especially because the British are fully aware of the incoming attack. They're not surprised at all. They are ready. They're being, they had already been tipped off by a Tory and they probably got a good night's sleep before the attack. The British attack Sullivan's force before Washington reaches 
Germantown. Both sides take heavy loss, but the Americans don't have the ammo to spare. When George reaches town, he finds the fields have been set afire and the smoke compounds with the fog to blind them. Justin, this sounds terrifying. You're describing like my worst nightmare. Like I'm a... I remember reading this, but still, like, when you say it, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, everything was on fucking fire. I couldn't see a goddamn thing. I couldn't breathe. There was fucking, where there wasn't smoke, there was fog, so I can't see a goddamn thing. They're trying to tell me to meet up with 5,000 fucking other troops over there, and who God knows where, I don't know where over there is. I'm fucking in the middle of nowhere right now. Coats. Like, we have red coats. What's going on? <laughs> right? You know, just quit being a pussy and push on. <laughs> Fair enough. So it's dawn. The visibility, it might have, might as well be midnight. George's leg of the army starts taking fire from one single house, which the British have turned into a tiny little eensy-beensy cute fortress. A tiny little fortress. At the very front of the battle, his officers insist that they circumnavigate the house because it's a big pain in the ass and might not even be worth taking. But Knox, an old Henry Knox, <laughs> insists they take the fort. He's all about those forts. George picks the dumb op- option, gets bogged down by one single house. And guess what? The house kicks their ass for a long time. The rest of the Brits fully recover and have time to defend the fuck out of Germantown. This is like... Exactly like when Ryan and I play Age of Empires <laughs> or Connect Four or, you know, whatever game you list. But you did beat me at darts one time. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Yeah, I still think about it before I go to bed every night. I didn't cheat either. I was like, I wanted to cheat so bad. I'm like, I'm going to fucking get this on my own goddamn merit. And you did. I did. Yeah, I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. They get bogged down by the, the cutesy little house. Four redcoats, one house. Eat the shit out of <laughs> regiments. Four this red, is embarrassing. Four redcoats, one house. Look that video up on YouTube. They might as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> they might as well be fighting Ewoks, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> after after some time some time later into this master strategy George decides to forget the house He's like, or, forget the fucking house god damn it we've been here all day we've been here and, all day you know music starts playing in his head I don't know <laughs> if Terminator music or Rambo or Predator <laughs> or, or something but he gets into that Rambo mode that suppressing fire serial mode and rides into the heat of the battle on his white fucking horse. <laughs> Always with the white fucking horse. But it's Rambo with a completely confused American force and reality. They are shooting at each other in the fog. No one knows what the hell is going on. <laughs> they can't coordinate their efforts for shit. And the Patriots start running away. And as usual, George is like spanking them with his sword. <laughs> and or... or, and, or. George is like, look, the redcoats are running away because fuck, we're also have yeah. those on too. And they were probably running away from each other. <laughs> this so is eventually, like, I just imagine yeah. this is like a Scooby-Doo scene playing out where people are like entering and exiting different doors at like, you know, the same time, like everyone's really yeah, fucking and confused. And the Yaki Sax is playing and it's yeah. like, uh, it's what's going on now in the government. <laughs> the reenactment of this fucking battle. 
No fucking chance. George sounds the retreat and they head back to Penny Packers Farm. <laughs> Penny Packers Mill, yeah. which sounds actually sounds like a good title for a, a gay porn. Penny Packers Mill. Duly noted TM registered trademark. Or, you know, a straight porn. Yeah. I haven't discriminated. Yeah. No, that's a double that's a double entendre namer there. We've got there's two things but happening it would be at once. Dirty Penny Packer. <laughs> Mill or dirty, farm, dirty or penny packer stable. in the mill and the mills. Oh, what if the mills were the guys that were like constantly just grinding her down? Oh you know what I mean? Oh, you're gross. Yep, that's it. There we go. Turning away from porn, <laughs> as we hate. As far to as do. yeah, we need to stop talking about porn. <laughs> as far as losses, the British fared much better. Then uh, 150 dead, 520 wounded, and 400 captured Americans. Howe's actually very surprised by the attack. It could have been rather successful if the British had not been warned by Tories. He did not anticipate an attack so soon after being spanked outside of Philly. Washington really tried to downplay the defeat again. He's really sticking to his shit right now. (laughs) He's like, yeah, damn, fog fucked it all up. Don't worry, John Hancock. We totally didn't lose twice as many as the British on this one. It's fine. And hey, our troops are, uh, they're gaining experience and shit. Nothing to see here. Move along. So now it's uh, winter of 77 and it's, uh, you know, kind of depressing. You know, you know what they, you know what he got out of it though? Congress forged him a medal of bravery. So apparently if you lie enough, you get a medal of bravery, you know? Or if somebody gives you a purple heart. (laughs) Washington's like, I've always wanted a purple heart. They'll never know the true story. Until now, of course, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Donald Trump now has a purple heart, which uh, it's not weird at all. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> a good really? stopping Shut point. Up. Yeah. You didn't oh know that? Oh my God. No, he got for real. Some like Vietnam veteran to give him their purple heart. And he that's... his reaction was, uh, I always wanted one of these. Oh. My God, that guy must have been like, and you, sir, are an asshole. No, he loved him because people are fucking stupid. But it's been so long, we forget so much. So much has happened. It's a little overwhelming. Well, I guess that's a good stopping point. Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely think that I think that if you fucking listen this far, you might as well go to Facebook and give us a little. Just just take a look at our page. There's nothing there, but you should add there's a little. There's some okay memes. There's, some, there's a few memes. Maybe you I guys start add some stuff. Memes. People, this is the thing. People go to our Facebook page. We can see you, but you never leave a message. It's very odd. Except for you. Uh, what's your name? What's your nuts? Oh, my God. When we get messages all the time. I'm so glad that whoever sends Mel. us messages. Yeah. Why did you stop? I mean, we never replied, but don't stop. Just keep going. It'll be great. You can hit us up at contact at POTUS.life. Go to our motherfucking Facebook page. And or go to POTUS.life. Well, and rate and review. Yeah. Oh, dudes and ladies, go to wherever you subscribe. Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and fucking review and give us a five star or a one star or a three star and tell us an honest review goodbye bye
Washington, Washington. Six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line. He had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains and invented cocaine. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Washington.